Hello, and welcome to Fort Wayne Ballet's Kinetic Conversations. I'm Jim Sparrow. Our guests today are Kim Sagami and Cameron Baisden, who are here setting works for this upcoming season opener. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing the season opener, the works that are being staged, and the differences and similarities with creating something brand new as opposed to resetting something. So, Cameron, Kim, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Cameron, refresh for the audience just a little bit about you and your background. I love working in Fort Wayne, first of all. Let me just say that. I was a dancer with the Joffrey Ballet. That was my performing career. And then uh, when I retired, I became ballet master and then associate director with the Joffrey before becoming director of dance at Interlochen Arts Academy. And now I am very fortunate to have my home in Miami, where I work in the dance field still and travel around and stage Arpino ballets. Kim, refresh the audience just a little bit about you. I danced with the Joffrey Ballet for 14 years, and because that was the only major company I danced with, that was a major influence on how I teach and interact with students and dancers. And then after I finished that, I went to architecture school and Mm -hmm. studied architecture, got a degree at Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago. Joffrey moved from New York to Chicago in 1996. And I was interested in studying architecture, and Chicago's like the perfect place to study. So got a degree and did practice architecture for a few years, but uh, was still very much interested in being in the studio. And I chose the studio rather than sitting at a computer. Um, I don't know if it was a good decision, but um, that there it is. Life is like that. Yeah. So... Both you and Cameron are setting pieces this year that have not been done here before. Can you frame a little bit about your piece that we'll be seeing? The piece I'm staging this week and next week are Empyrean Dances by Eddie Sterley. And Eddie was a dancer with the Joffrey Ballet during my time. He's slightly younger than I am, but definitely I would consider him a, a close friend. He has an amazing background. Mr. Joffrey saw him at the Jackson competition in Mississippi and immediately hired him to come into the company. I think at that time, maybe he was 18 or 19. And Eddie quickly made an impact on the company. Anything he danced was spectacular. And Eddie also wanted to choreograph, but also at that time, he found out that he was HIV positive. So I think he was maybe 20, 21 at that time. So at that time, he choreographed La Cremosa, which I staged here a couple years ago. And that ballet is very dark. It's about grieving and saying goodbye to loved ones. A few years after that, he contracted AIDS and was in the hospital in and out trying to dance, but was clearly losing strength and his physicality. But he still wanted to choreograph. So he had the opportunity to do another ballet for the Joffrey called Empyrean Dances, And this ballet, he wanted to convey looking forward into death. So I think it's a very personal statement about not grieving, but having a positive outlook on what death could be. It's mostly ensemble dancing. There's a pas de deux, a series of duets and quartets, but it displays a celebration. I don't want to say a celebration, but more like a reflection of life Mm -hmm. and how precious it is, but also how joyous it could be as well. You have the benefit in this particular situation of having danced the piece and knowing the choreographer. When you're setting a piece and you're resetting and restating your piece, sometimes you don't have the same ability in terms of that experience. So talk a little bit about the challenges of resetting a piece, knowing that there are limitations in terms of your situation, your dancers, and the challenges or opportunities that you might take trying to bring that to life. Mm-hmm. 
the dancers here have no reference or experience with a whole generation of people that died of AIDS. And so for us in that time, in the late 80s, early 90s, there were so many people that died that we knew. And I'm not sure, the only thing I could relate it to is gun violence today, where people's lives are cut short. And there's something very tragic about that, but also you have to find in Eddie's case, something positive or something that compels you to live on. So trying to convey that to these dancers is very challenging. And I have to just ask them to tap into their own personal lives because not all of them are going to have the same experience. I think what was very special in Empyrean and with Eddie is that the whole company was experiencing the same thing at the same time. And we all were feeling very similar about the piece. So that's a challenge to draw all these dancers from all over the country and try to get them in the same motivation to do the, right. the ballet. Cameron. Frame a little bit about the piece that you're working on for us. Okay, the piece that I have um, staging is called Italian Suite. It was choreographed by Gerald Arpino. Arpino was the resident choreographer for the Joffrey Ballet until Mr. Joffrey's passing, at which time Mr. Arpino became the artistic director. So the ballet that we're working on, Italian Suite, was choreographed in the 80s. It was choreographed in 1983. Arpino was a very eclectic choreographer. He did many, many diverse types of movements from very neoclassical, contemporary, barefooted, rolling on the floor, to things that were very, very, very classical. So in this particular ballet, it's one of his more classical uh, genres, I would say, very lush, very whimsical, but it's very, very, very solidly based in ballet technique. But it has kind of the Arpino essence of movement, which is moving the body and moving the back, moving the torso. And the ballet has no story to it. It's really just a series of divertissements, duets, pas de deux, solos, a women's dance, couples. So there's a lot of partnering, a lot of lifts. But basically, it's a sheer dance piece, very whimsical, very pretty. Since you're resetting these pieces and you're very familiar with them, what do you learn that's new about the piece each time you reset it? Oh, that's a very, very good question. I think because Arpino's movement is very specific and it's a little bit unusual, it's not your basic, very strict, upright classical ballet. It has a lot of movement in the upper body, a lot of angles, a lot of side of the body. It's an unusual way for dancers to move. I think it enhances all dance that they do when they move this way. And so uh, getting dancers to feel what that feels like is rather unusual and certainly enhances the ballet, but I think it also enhances them as dancers, that they're able to move in different ways. You know, I was talking to Karen Gibbons-Brown, the artistic director, about the Arpino pieces and the Joffrey repertoire, and she was saying she feels like it's a very uniquely American way to move, that mm. it, you're using classical elements that yes. come from all over the traditional world of ballet, but it's a very uniquely American kind of vision of how to move. Arpino, I think, yeah, he always says that he was a very, he, first and foremost, he was an American, so I think it does come from that. I think that what Arpino, Mr. Arpino really loved is the idea that he loved the way modern dancers moved, but he loved the classicism of ballet, and his movement fused the two together. He loved the dancers moving on the floor and sort of that earthy, grounded quality with the element of the sheer beauty of classical technique and fusing those together, which I think is a very American way to move. You're recreating something that somebody else had in their head and choreographed originally. 
Talk a little bit about how you organize in your head the process of recreating that piece. When you go look at a new company or go work with new dancers, how does that process work? Well, first of all, there's a lot of studying that goes into it because I was very fortunate that I was one of the initial dancers. I worked with Mr. Arpino a lot, so I understood his movement. I understood his craft and how he created things, so I got it from the source, which I think is a benefit. But just in staging any ballet, I mean, you have to do your homework. You have to do a lot of studying and and uh, who goes where, you have to learn everybody's part, which direction, and every ballet is different in that respect. First and foremost, it's the most challenging aspect is to get dancers to move the way the Starpino would have wanted them to move. I think that it's not just the steps, but it's what goes with the steps, how the steps become the essence and the artistry of what he wanted to see within the ballet. And Italian Suite is different from Light Rain, which I did the year before, is different from Confetti. Fort Wayne has done a lot of his ballets but they're all a little bit different. But once you do understand how he moves, I think it makes staging the work basically that much easier. But every situation is different depending on the dancers and the type of training they have. Yeah, and also the level of training that they have too, which I just want to add right now, it's so great to work with the Fort Wayne dancers because every time I've come here, I feel like the ability has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. And uh, it certainly shows in the work that they do. Kim, the act of recreating and organizing that process for you when you go into that process on a group of dancers, how do you organize that in your head? How do you translate that? Yeah, talking about stressful intention though, <laughs> um, because Eddie was such a positive person and the way that he danced was very organic and natural, but his ability was beyond the charts, you know? So preparing for this, I didn't wanna go at it like, this person is here and like very mathematically, I wanted to have it happen organically. So this process, I have a conversation with the dancers. I have an idea of where I want to put the dancers, but I also have a conversation when I'm setting it to make sure that they understand that this is a dialogue. So I know the dance in my head to some degree, but I don't know the conversation. So I present the framework and then I work with the dancers to try to mold them into where I'm going, but it's kind of a back and forth thing. My conversation with the dancers is very limited as far as placing them in space. We go back and forth with the video a lot, and then I talk with them and I say, does that make sense to you? Is there something working? Is there something that's conflicting with you? So. For Eddie's ballets, I approach it very differently than I would with an Arpino ballet. So you've been around the ballet here in Fort Wayne for a number of years, and we're in the process of an evolving and emerging professional company. Talk to us a little bit about that process and what you're witnessing, and what advantage does that have for Fort Wayne and the ballet company, the ballet company specifically, in terms of our opportunities? As a repetiteur and as a former dancer, how do you see that as a benefit for the community and for the ballet? Well, the ballet today is definitely has come up many levels since I first came here um, eight years ago, maybe. You were at the old studio. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Well, on Penn Avenue. So, yeah, on Penn Avenue. So at that time, I staged birthday variations. And that was a totally different company. Maybe four paid dancers right. and then the rest were students. And so I was basically working with students, trying to get them to dance an Arpino ballet. And today I'm working with 12 paid dancers. There's actually 14, 14 and we have the court that are not paid, but are professionals. Yeah, so. It's increased many fold. And the level of dancing too. I can walk into the studio and show a step and they completely know it. So just to see that growth in that amount of time is very exciting. 
and I can only see it increasing from here. And once you get a really good core of dancers, like 12 really good dancers, you've got a good company, and then anything can be choreographed on them. What do you think about that, Cameron? The more you can do, the stronger the dancers are. You know, the more you can push them. And I think the ability that that uh, the dancers bring, because they're more capable, allows you to just go further. You can say more things to them. You don't just get stuck on the step itself, but you can imbue the step with more. You can tell them to be on angles. And I think that the more advanced they are and the more experienced or seasoned, I suppose, the more they understand what you're talking about and the more you can see results. So it's, it's sort of is a give and take that you can both go further with that process. And then I think also just going back, I think the dancers also become stronger dancers because they then understand something else, like their level of dancing, the layers that they have sure. become more rich. You were part of learning this piece as a dancer, and now you're in a position of restaging it. And we talked a little bit about what you learned through that process, but you as an individual, at one point, were learning it. How do you approach it from the standpoint, do you remember what it was like to absorb it the first time you were learning it, and now having to put it in a perspective in your head to organize it, like you said, to teach somebody else? How is that process different? Mm. It's just taking what you know and to impart that knowledge. And I think working with the choreographer is different because you're discovering and I think that we're not discovering. We know where we want to get. So I think that's different. We're imparting the information that we've been given, that we were experiencing. And I think that's what the challenge is. Uh, again, it's not just the steps themselves, though Arpino did have a very particular way that he liked to move. So that becomes part of it as well. But it's also just the way you move and all that. And to me, that's the biggest challenge. I think as Joffrey dancers, because Arpino was, we worked with him every day and we danced his ballets all the time. So we didn't realize that it was more difficult we move that way all the time. That was how we moved. And I think that when a company dances his works, they become more familiar with that movement. Well, also knowing that no matter what you do, no two performances, no two ensembles are going to be the same. It's true. And <laughs> no, no two dancers are the same. <laughs> and so how do you approach, I look at it almost as if you're looking at an old house and the wall looked this way originally and you spackled up to cover the holes to get it close, but it's never going to be the same. You're taking some liberty to put that back together. When you look at your role where there might be liberties or creative license that you need to take to get this closer or to deal with what you have, how does that work? Yeah, that's a very big question. It's a very good question too, because it's, it's something I think that we're always talking about. I think because we were working with Mr. Arpino himself and with the source, so we know many of the options. We know what he would have wanted. We know what type of movement. And he was certainly the first person to, if something didn't work a certain way, he would alter it to accommodate that person's way of moving still within his realm of movement. And I think that because we were able to work with him and we experienced that, it gives us some options when we're working with dancers so that we have a little bit of flexibility. It's not just set in stone that it must be this way all the time. So we always kind of start with the basic, but within that, we have a little bit of flexibility to move around. Of course, you want it to look the best that it looks on the dancers. Because, as you said, they aren't the same. They're different. But I do think that because we were there working with him and we saw over the years things adapted for certain people, it gives us realistic choices to make, but also the, just that we knew him very well. So we know that if your arm is going to go across, it can go this way or that way, but both would be right because that's what he would have liked. Just for a minute, talking about the process of restaging, 
you can't control everything when you restage, both in terms of the time, the dancers, various other variables. So there's a level of organization and discipline that happens, but there's also some level of creativity or latitude that needs to be brought in to get to the end result. That creates a level of tension between what you want to do and maybe where you need to go. How do you reconcile that? Is that a positive thing once in a while? Do you discover things or is it just challenging? So I think I reconcile it with humor. (laughs) (laughs) So like today, I went into the studio and I had like, I want to review what we did yesterday and then I want to go on and progress. So we reviewed and then I had to stop and I had to review again and then I had to stop and I had to review again and I didn't really get to progress very much and so I felt I lost time. But that's how it goes, right? You can't control those things. So you just pick up the pieces and keep on going. You gotta have a sense of humor about it and you gotta be able to like wiggle your way around it. There are people that weren't listening, had to say something about that, keep my sense of humor about it and just keep going on. The wonderful thing about dancing, and I'm speaking mostly for a Pinot choreography because that's what I'm working on, but you wanted to get to a certain place, but you also want the dancers to feel good about dancing it, and you want the audience to see something that is lovely and moves them. I mean, that's kind of the place you want to get to. So you don't want to keep pushing the envelope in a way that's going against what doesn't work. And if it just continuously doesn't work, yes, there's tension and there's stress, but you sort of want to get past that and over the hump so that it becomes something that will work. So finally, to wrap things up, with the company that's emerging, what would you like to see the ballet do in the future that you think would be a really good fit for the ballet and you'd be excited to see Mm -hmm. staged? I've talked with Karen Gibbons-Brown, the artistic director. She's done a lot of Arpino, and she's doing Eddie, but I think other creations, like we were talking about Sir Frederick Ashton's Les Patineurs, it's a classic ballet, but it's, I think, something that Fort Wayne would really enjoy as an audience because it's very inviting, it's fun, it's festive. It's simple and beautiful and understandable as an audience. It's very technically challenging for the dancers as well. Cameron? Oh, there are a couple that I think would be lovely to be done. Uh, one of them, as I see the company growing and I see the, the types of dancers that there are and the strength of the men as well, one of the difficulties, I think, in ballet in general is finding men that are strong enough, that have a, that, a lovely look, and I think that that's getting stronger and stronger here as well. But I think a, an Arpino Ballet Reflections is a lovely ballet. There's a wonderful pas de deux, not a pas de deux, it's a lead pas de deux, but it has some men. Round of Angels is just a very beautiful, elegant piece for one woman with men. And uh, there's, on a big scale, there's a ballet called Quentin that's uh, one of the more classical pieces, but it's just a showcase of dancing. So there are a number of pieces of Arpinos that would be just lovely on the company. And it's been thrilling to see them get stronger and to see where the company can go. And that's really great and exciting. Well, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Season 63 opens for Fort Wayne Ballet with Diversions 19, September 27th and 28th at the Arts United Center. You can purchase tickets by visiting the Fort Wayne Ballet website or artsticks.org. That's our show, brought to you by Fort Wayne Ballet and with the support of University of St. Francis. Our guests were Kim Sagami and Cameron Bazin. My co-producers are Marcia Hetrick and John Dawkins, who also composed our theme music. If you'd like to receive notifications on future podcasts, please like the podcast and go to fortwayneballet.org to sign up for notifications on performances, podcasts, and more ballet news. You'll also find a library of past episodes. Until next time, I'm Jim Sparrow, and thanks for listening to Kinetic Conversations with Fort Wayne Ballet.